This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. That's L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X dot org. Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. Chapter 15, in which the bag of banknotes disgorges some thousands of pounds more. The train entered the station, and Passepartout jumped out first, was followed by Mr. Fogg, who assisted his fair companion to descend. Phileas Fogg intended to proceed at once to the Hong Kong steamer, in order to get Eoda comfortably settled for the voyage. He was unwilling to leave her while they were still on dangerous ground. Just as he was leaving the station, a policeman came up to him and said, Mr. Phileas Fogg, I am he. Is this man your servant? asked the policeman, pointing to Passepartout. Yes. Be so good, both of you, as to follow me. Mr. Fogg betrayed no surprise whatever. The policeman was a representative of the law, and law is sacred to an Englishman. Passepartout tried to reason about the matter. But the policeman tapped him with his stick, and Mr. Fogg made him a signal to obey. "'May this young lady go with us?' asked he. "'She may,' replied the policeman. Mr. Fogg, Eoda, and Passepartout were conducting to a pilkigure, a sort of four-wheeled carriage drawn by two horses, in which they took their places, and were driven away no one spoke during the twenty minutes which elapsed before they reached their destination. The first passage through the black town, with its narrow streets, its miserable dirty huts, and squalid population that then threw the European town which presented a relief in its bright brick mansions, shaded by coconut trees, and bristling with masts, where, although it was early morning, elegantly dressed horsemen and handsome equipages were passing back and forth. The carriage stopped before a modest-looking house, which, however, did not have the appearance of a private mansion. The policeman, having requested his persons for so truly they might be called to descend, conducted them into a room with barred windows, and said, You'll appear before Judge Obadia at half-past eight. He then retired and closed the door. Why are we prisoners? exclaimed Passepartout, falling into a chair. Eoda, with an emotion she tried to conceal, said to Mr. Fogg, Sir, you must leave me to my fate. It is on my account that you receive this treatment. It is for having saved me. Phileas Fogg contented himself with saying that it was impossible. It was quite unlikely that he should be arrested for preventing a suti. The complainants would not dare present themselves with such a charge. There was some mistake. Moreover, he would not in any event abandon Eoda, but would escort her to Hong Kong. But the steamer leaves at noon, observed Passepartout nervously. We shall be on board by noon, replied his master placidly. It was said so positively that Passepartout could not help 
muttering to himself, Parbleu, that's certain. Before noon, we should be on board. But he was by no means reassured. At half past eight, the door opened. The policeman appeared and requested them to follow him, led the way to an adjoining hall. It was evidently a courtroom, and a crowd of Europeans and natives already occupied the rear of the apartment. Mr. Fogg and his two companions took their place on a bench opposite the desks of the magistrate and his clerk. Immediately after, Judge Obadiah, a fat round man followed by the clerk, entered. He proceeded to take down a wig, which was hanging on a nail, and put it hurriedly on his head. The first case, said he, then putting his hand to his head, he examined, Heh, this is not my wig. No, your worship, returned the clerk, it is mine. My dear Mr. Oysterpuff, how can a judge give a wise sentence in a clerk's wig? The wigs were exchanged. Puspartu was getting nervous, for the hands on the face of the big clock over the judge seemed to go around with terrible rapidity. The first case, repeated the judge, Odiaha. Phileas Fogg, demanded Osterpuff. I'm here, replied Mr. Fogg. Paspartu? Present, responded Paspartu. Good, said the judge. You have been looked for, prisoners, for two days on the trains from Bombay. But of what are we accused? asked Paspartu impatiently. You're about to be informed. I'm an English subject, sir, said Mr. Fogg and I have the right. Have you been ill-treated? Not at all. Very well. Let the complaints come in. A door was swung open by order of the judge, and three Indian priests entered. That's it, muttered Paspartu. There are the rogues who were going to burn our young lady. The priests took their places in front of the judge, and the clerk proceeded to read in a loud voice a complaint of sacrilege against Phileas Fogg and his servant, who were accused of having violated a place held consecrated by the Brahmin religion. "'You bear the charge?' asked the judge. "'Yes, sir,' replied Mr. Fogg, consulting his watch, "'and I admit it.' "'You admit it?' "'I admit it, and I wish to hear these priests admit in their turn what they were going to do at the pagoda of Fuyaja. The priests looked at each other. They did not seem to understand what was said. Yes, cried Paspartu warmly. At the pagoda of Pilijia, where they, where they were on the point of burning their victim, the judge started with astonishment, and the priests were stupefied. What victim? said Judge Obadiah. Burn whom? In Bombay itself? Bombay? cried Paspartu. Certainly. We are not talking of the pagoda of Pilisi, but of the pagoda of Malabar Hill at Bombay. And as a proof, added the clerk, here are the desecrator's very shoes, which he left behind him. Whereupon he placed a pair of shoes on his desk. My shoes! cried Paspartu, in a surprise permitting this imprudent exclamation to escape him. The confession of master and man, 
who had quite forgotten the affair at Bombay, for which they were not detained at Calcutta, may be imagined. Fix, the detective, had foreseen the advantage which Passepartout's escapada gave him, and delaying his departure for twelve hours, had consulted the priest of Malabar Hill, knowing that the English authorities dealt very severely with the kind of misdemeanor he promised them a goodly sum in damages and sent them forward to calcutta by the next train owing to the delay caused by the rescue of the young widow fix and the priest reached the indian capital before mr fogg and his servant the magistrates having been already warned by a dispatch to arrest them should they arrive fix's disappointment when he learned that phileas fogg had not made his appearance in calcutta may be imagined he made up his mind that the robber had stopped somewhere on the route and taken refuge in the southern providences for twenty-four hours fix watched the station with feverish anxiety at last he was rewarded by seeing mr fogg and passepartout arrive accompanied by a young woman whose presentious he was wholly at a loss to explain he hastened for a policeman and this was how the party came to be arrested and brought before judge obadia had passepartout been a little less presumptuous he would have espied the detective ensconcered in the corner of the courtroom watching the proceedings with an interest easily understood for the warrant had failed to reach him at Calcutta, as it had done at Bombay and Suez. Judge Oroa had fortunately caught Passepartout's rash explanation, which the poor fellow would have given the world to recall. The facts are admitted, asked the judge. Admitted, replied Mr. Fogg coldly. As much as the English law protects equality and sternly the religions of the Indian people, and as the man Passepartout has admitted that he violated the sacred pagoda of Malabar Hill at Bombay on the 20th of October, I condemn this said Passepartout to imprisonment for 15 days and a fine of 300 pounds. 300 pounds? cried Passepartout, startled at the largeness of the sum. Silence! shouted the constable and inasmuch continued the judge as it is not proved that the act was not done by the connivance of the master which the servant and as the master in any case must be held responsible for the acts of his paid servant i condemn phileas fogg to a week's imprisonment and a fine of one hundred and fifty pounds Fix rubbed his hand softly with satisfaction if phileas fogg could be detained in calcutta a week it would be more than enough time for the warrant to arrive passepartout was stupefied this sentence ruined his master a wager of twenty thousand pounds lost because he like a precious fool had gone into the Amdamum pagoda phileas fogg as self-composed as if the judge 
did not in the least concern him, did not even lift his eyebrow while it was being pronounced. Just as the clerk was calling the next case, he rose and said, I offer bail. You have the right, returned the judge. Fix's blood ran cold, but he resumed his composure when he heard the judge announce that the bail required for each prisoner would be 1,000 pounds. I will pay it at once, said Mr. Fogg, taking a roll of banknotes from the carpet bag, which Passepartout had by him, and placed them on the clerk's desk. This sum will be restored to you upon release from prison, said the judge. Meanwhile, you are liberated on bail. Come, said Phileas Fogg to his servant. But let them at least give me back my shoes, cried Passepartout angrily. Ah, these are pretty dear shoes, he muttered, as they were handed to him. More than a thousand pounds apiece. Besides, they pinch my feet. Mr. Fogg, offering his arm to Aelda, then departed, followed by the crestfallen Passepartout, fixed still nourished hopes that the robber would not, after all, leave the two thousand pounds behind him, but would decide to serve out his week in jail, and issued forth on Mr. Fogg's traces. That gentleman took a carriage, and the party were soon landed on one of the quays. The Rangoon was moored half a mile off in the harbor, its signal of departure hoisted at the masthead. Eleven o'clock was striking. Mr. Fogg was an hour in advance of time. Fix saw them leave the carriage and push off in a boat for the steamer and stamped his feet with disappointment. The rascal is off, after all, he exclaimed. Two thousand pounds sacrificed. He is a prodigal, as a thief. I'll follow him to the end of the world if necessary, but at the rate he's going, the stolen money will soon be exhausted. The detective was not far wrong in making this conjecture, since leaving London, what with traveling expenses, bribes, the purchase of the elephant, bells, and fines, Mr. Fogg had already spent more than £5,000 on the way, and the percentage of the sum recovered from the bank robber promised to the detectives was rapidly dis diminishing. End of chapter 15 This has been a TBOL3 production.